I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Start reading in verse 10, and we'll read through verse 26. Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, starting in verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room? in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it, just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. In the evening he came with the twelve. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it. And gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this another day of worship. I thank you for this time, Lord, that we've been able to gather together and sing these hymns of praise. Father, and our hearts have been drawn out in in adoration. Thank you for just giving us the opportunity to, to know you, to love you, and to feel your presence here with us this morning. Thank you, Father, for calling us out of darkness and placing us into the light. Thank you for translating us into your kingdom. Thank you for giving us a heart that, that loves you and a heart that, that wants to follow you and serve you. Thank you for this group of people that we have here to fellowship with. We thank you for each and every family that's represented here. We thank you for each and every person, we thank you for the believers here that you have called out by your grace and who are following you. Thank you for the leadership of this church and thank you for the opportunity you've given me and Brady to, to lead and to shepherd this congregation. Father, I just pray that you will help us to continue to grow. Father, help us to continue to, to grow not only in our understanding and in our knowledge of your word, but also that we would grow in our obedience, that we would grow in our, in our love 
for you and for one another. And Father, that as we look at the scriptures, as we study these texts, Father, that it's not just for knowledge, but it's, Father, it's so that it may deepen our love for you and it may deepen our love for, for others and for one another. Father, I pray as we look at this passage this morning that you would just speak to our hearts and minds, help us to appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Jesus is the Passover lamb. I think this is a familiar text to most of it because most of, most of us because we often look at this text or other accounts in the gospels and consider these things when we're gathered together for communion to keep the Lord's supper. We have here the instituting of the Lord's supper with Jesus and his by Jesus with his disciples and this is a familiar text to us for that occasion but I pray that the Lord will just kind of be with us this morning and help help our thoughts as we look at this occasion and consider some of the things that maybe we haven't considered before as we look at how Jesus is the Passover lamb. We see in this text how that, first of all, we see how the timing of the Passover is at hand and how providentially Jesus has worked this out and God has worked this out that at the same time that they are celebrating the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the same time that Jesus is going to be crucified. Jesus is going to give his life for the people of God and Jesus Christ is going to be raised from the dead and ascend up into heaven. But that at the same time that they're celebrating the Passover and the Passover lamb is being killed and they're remembering that and they're, they're going back and, and praising God for how he delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt and how he passed over them when the death, age, death angel came into Egypt and all those that had the blood of the lamb covered over their doors, that the death angel passed over them. That in this time that they're thinking about that, this is the time that now what that was all pointing to for thousands of years of them keeping the celebration of the Passover and remembering that, that now the Passover lamb has come. And that all that is being done right now, Jesus is going to say, when they, as they're celebrating this Passover, he's going to show them and teach them how he is the fulfillment of the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. And so we'll see the, we see that in God's providence, he worked it out in the timing of it to happen exactly when it happened. We also see as we're looking at this text, we see the grief and the pain of this time that Jesus had with the disciples. We see that he's filled with great pain and great sorrow because there's going to be one of the disciples who's going to betray him. And so we see what he says here in this text and see what the response is to that and we'll consider some of those things this morning. But then the best thing I think that we see in this text as we're looking at it is we see the beautiful institution of the Lord's Supper. How Jesus, when they're 
coming to the end of celebrating the Passover, he institutes the Lord's Supper and he shows them how that he is the fulfillment of the Passover, that he has given his body to be broken for them and he has given his blood to be shed for them. And now they are no longer going to keep the Passover feast anymore. They're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. They're going to celebrate communion not, not in remembrance of how God had delivered them out of Egypt, but now they're going to keep this in remembrance of how Jesus Christ saved them from their sins, delivered them out of the bondage of their sins, and brought them into the kingdom of God. And so it's just a beautiful text for us to consider this morning. And I know that we've taught a lot from this passage of Scripture, so I will be brief in my comments this morning. But I'm just going to have three headings as we look at this text this morning. Number one, the preparations for the Passover. Number two, the pain of the Passover. And three, the preciousness of this Passover. So the preparations of this Passover, the pain of this Passover, and the preciousness of this Passover. And the proposition that I have before you this morning that I want you to consider is that Jesus is your Passover lamb. He's your Passover lamb. He has sacrificed himself for you so that you could escape from the wrath that is to come. He sacrificed Himself for you as the Passover lamb so that you could be forgiven of all your sins. So that you could be delivered from the bondage of your sins and freed to serve Him in His kingdom. He has sacrificed Himself as the Passover lamb so that you could be used for His service in His kingdom. And I pray that you are just reminded of that this morning and that it encourages you and inspires you to appreciate how Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb for you. So it tells us we've been looking at this Passion Week of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he had come into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week and that he had gone into the temple and it tells us that he he first comes into the temple and he drives out the money changers. He drives out those who are making a profit off of people. And, he, and he, he, he shows us his great zeal and passion for the house of the Lord. And he says, you know, you've turned this house into a house of merchandise. But this house is supposed to be a house of prayer. And so he first comes in and he, he begins to teach and he begins to preach. And he has confrontation with the Pharisees and with the Sadducees and with the chief priests and the religious rulers. We know during this time that he is, these are his last days, so he's doing a lot of important teaching with his disciples. He's doing, he's still doing healing of people. And he's spending time in the temple during the day, and then he's going out outside of the temple at night, and he's going to Bethany and spending time in the Mount of Olives. We've considered how he spent a great time uh, teaching the disciples about the events that were about to happen in the near future and, and what was going to lead up to 
the destruction eventually of the temple and of the city of Jerusalem. But we see now in Mark chapter 14, we really see a turn happening. The time is at hand and the hour is near. The fullness of time has come and all, all of the life of Christ, all of the life of Jesus, and all of the ministry for the past three, three and a half years, all this time that he has spent with the disciples and everything that he's done is, has all been leading up to this time. It has all been leading up to these days. It is all coming to a head. It has is, it is, it is, it is all, all been pointing to this. He's taught about it. He's, 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 he's warned of this happening on several occasions. You remember he's told them over three times that I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be um, treated harshly. I'm going to be put on trial. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be put to death. But after three days I will rise again. And so he's been warning them about this, but just we just have to understand that in the moment, in all this happening, the whirlwind of all of this, the disciples didn't really fully grasp what Jesus had been saying. They didn't really understand what was about to happen. They were, their eyes were kind of veiled about what all Jesus was talking about. And so still, even at this time, they, they don't understand that in a couple of days, Jesus Christ is going to be put to death. He's going to suffer as no man has ever suffered. This one that they loved, this one that they believed in, this one that was the fulfillment of all their hopes and dreams, this one that many of them thought was was going to be their deliverer and was going to deliver them from being in in bondage to to the Romans, that this one was going to be taken and he was going to be crucified and he was going to die. And so we see really a turn in Mark chapter 14. And it says the time of the Passover. It was two days until the Passover lamb would be killed and they would celebrate the Passover feast. And they would celebrate this week-long feast, uh, feast of unleavened bread. You remember that during the time of the Exodus when God was going to send the death angel into Egypt and it was going to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians that God had told them that one thing that they were to do was that they were to take a lamb and they were, to, they were to kill this lamb and they were to take that blood and they were to put it over the doorpost. And when the death angel came by, everyone who had the blood on their doorpost, the death angel would pass over. So they were to kill this lamb and they were to do that with the blood, but they were also to, to eat the lamb and they were to roast the lamb and they were to have nothing left over. Because God says, I'm going to deliver you, not only spare you from the death angel that's coming upon the firstborn of the Egyptians, but I'm going to give you a speedy deliverance and you're going to leave Egypt. And so he, te- he, he also tells them that as they're preparing for this, he says, I want you to, to make all your bread uh, unleavened bread and there's to be no yeast in it because you're going to leave this place quickly and you're not going to have time for for the leaven to rise up in the bread, and you want nothing to be spoiled. So you're to make this unleavened bread. And so this became a feast that they would celebrate every year. From after the Exodus all the way up until this time, they kept, they kept this feast every year. They had the feast of unleavened bread, and it would last a whole week. 
And at the beginning of this Feast of Unleavened Bread was what was called the, uh, the Passover, which was, they, this is when they would take the lamb, and they would have the lamb killed, and they would roast the lamb, and they would, this would be part of their supper, and they would also, this whole week, they would do nothing but unleavened bread in remembrance of this. And so it's, it's, of, no, it's, it's of no accident, brothers and sisters, that God planned it during this exact time and this exact day that they were celebrating the Passover lamb and this Feast of Unleavened Bread, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who was promised, the one that when John saw him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the world. That He had come and that He was the fulfillment of this. And He was about to show the disciples this. And it would totally change their understanding of this and forever change them going forward. So it tells us that in verse 12, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, His disciples said to Him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So this, this is what they usually did. They would uh, have a place that they would have this meal at. And so the disciples, disciples are wondering, where are we going to have this meal? Where are we going to keep the Passover with the Lord Jesus Christ? And so they come to him and they ask him. What I love about this, and sometimes I've missed this as I've studied this text and looked over this, is just how precise and purposeful Jesus was in everything about the Passover and the place, how it came about, and just how he protected this time, this precious time that he was going to have with the disciples. And we see in here again the omniscience of Christ, that he knows all things that are about to take place and what he tells them says he sent out two of his disciples and, to, and said to them, Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. How did Jesus know that was going to happen? First of all, this is kind of a strange thing, isn't it? Because if we know the culture in which they were living in, it wasn't usually a man who was carrying a pitcher of water, was it? Usually it was the women who went out and, and got the water. But here we have Jesus knew that this time it would be a, a man for a particular reason, either because he was a servant or a slave and he was getting water for the master of the house. They, remember, they used uh, these jars of water for the purification, uh, for purification during this time. And so he's probably getting water for the purification rituals. They would also take this water and they would mix it with the wine that they would use um, when they were celebrating this feast. But Jesus knew that at the exact time that they were going into this crowded city. Now think about, think about the time of the Passover. Okay? Mil, a mil, over a million Jews came into the city of Jerusalem. There were people everywhere, in every house. There were all kinds of people going out and getting water, filling up water. But Jesus knows the exact place and he knows that it's going to be a man, and he knows exactly that when the disciples go there, they'll meet him, and they'll be able to ask him this question. Because Jesus is all-knowing. He gives evidence time and time again that he is the Son of God, 
And so he tells them exactly, you will meet a man carrying a pitcher of water, follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Again, Jesus knows not only that there's going to be this man carrying this pitcher of water, but that he tells them to follow, follow this man when he goes back to the house. And he knows that the master of the house is going to be there and that they're going to ask the master of the house, where is your guest room? Because Jesus has need of it. And he's, he wants to keep the Passover feast with his disciples here. Jesus knows that this man, this, this master of this house, has this guest, large upper room. He has this guest room. He knows that it is furnished and that it is prepared for the feast. He knows maybe he has been doing this for his own family. But Jesus is working out everything so that this room that this man has will be used for this Passover feast that Jesus will have for his, with his disciples. This room where Jesus would have intimate time with his disciples, and he would teach them things that are some of the most precious teachings that we have in all of the scriptures. Jesus would teach them here in this room. And Jesus was working all of this out because he he knew how precious this time was. And he knew that there were those who were seeking his life. He knew that Judas was seeking a way to betray him. And so it's neat to think about his providence and the way that he works all of these things out to where he doesn't give a specific name. He doesn't give a specific place so that Judas could not betray him to the scribes, uh, to, the, to the chief priest and to the religious leaders. But this time would be precious and he would be able to institute the Lord's Supper. And so Jesus tells him, Go and do this. You'll meet this man here. Go follow him. Say to the master of the house, Jesus has need of your upper room. Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. This this reminds me of when they were coming into Jerusalem earlier in the week, and Jesus had showed them his omniscience already, and he said, I want you to go just outside of the city, and when you get to this place just outside of the city, you'll find a colt there who is tied up. And this is a colt that's never been ridden on. And you'll say to the owner of that colt, Jesus has need of this colt, and I want you to bring it to me, and I'm going to ride into Jerusalem on this colt. Same exact way, and it tells us there that they went just as Jesus had told them, and they found it just as Jesus had said. And they said to the man, just as Jesus had said, and the man said, okay, take it and use it. And the same way that it happened there, it happened here. And it reminds me of a few texts in Isaiah when we think about how Jesus is God manifest in the flesh and how he is evidencing that to the disciples in the preparations of the Passover In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 9, it says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. You see, this is one of the evidences of God. God is able to tell us about things that are going to happen before they happen. 
And he's, he's, he tells us exactly how they're going to happen. And that's how you know who God is. Because God has knowledge of all events future. All events past. He sees everything and He's able to tell us things that have not yet happened. And Jesus Christ has, has evidenced this attribute of God on many occasions. Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 through 11 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You see, Jesus Christ had a design. He had a purpose and he had a plan that he would keep this Passover feast with his disciples right before he was going to be betrayed, right before he was going to be crucified and put to death. He had a plan and his counsel was going to stand and he was going to do all his pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it, I also will do it. And this is the same of Jesus Christ. He has purposed in his heart, I think ever since the time that he has called these disciples, called them to follow him. All this time that he has been training them. All this time that he has been giving evidence of who he is before them. This is the time that he had purposed to come together with them, that he may reveal himself to them in all of his glory. You see, he was having, in a way, to hold back from telling them all of these things and revealing all of these things to them until his time was at hand because they could not have contained it. So we see the glory of Jesus Christ in his providence, in his providential hand in the preparations for the Passover. So it tells us that they did exactly what Jesus said. This room was furnished and they prepared for the Passover. And then in verse 17, in the evening he came with the twelve. So Jesus meets together with the twelve disciples and they are going to keep this Passover together. So not only do we see the glory of Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, in the preparations for this Passover, but secondly, we see that there is great pain in this Passover feast. Usually the the Passover feast was a time of great joy. It was a time of celebration. It was a time to remember how God had delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty hand, how He had passed over them, how the death angel had passed over them, and how He had spared them, and how He had delivered them from Egyptian bondage, and He had led them through the wilderness, and He led them through the Red Sea, and He swallowed all of Pharaoh's hosts before them. And this would just be a time of of singing and a time of joy and a time of, of, of just great remembrance of the deliverance that God had done for His people. But we see in this night, in this Passover, yes, they were doing that. Jesus Christ, even though His time was at hand and even though His heart was heavy, 
And even though he was about to mention betrayal of one of the disciples against him, yet he did keep this feast. He did keep this Passover with the disciples. And there was joy in the room. And there was a remembrance of what God had done. But yet we see, because of what is happening, and the purpose of God, we see that there is great pain in this Passover. It says, Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Imagine the turn in the atmosphere. Imagine the room which had been filled with with laughter and with joy and with singing and with rejoicing in God. To all of a sudden now, Jesus says, one of you, a person in this room, a person who is keeping this Passover with us, one of my closest friends, one who has been with me the whole time, is going to betray me. Think of how that turned the atmosphere in the room. Think about how hard this was for the Lord Jesus Christ. Betrayal is one of the hardest things that any human ever has to experience. To have someone you love, someone you care about, someone you invest time in, someone you have given your all for, someone you have been there for, time and time again, turns their back on you and sells you out. That's hard. There is no pain like the pain of betrayal. And Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, is experiencing that pain because he is willing to suffer the betrayal for your sins. And for my sins. You see, Jesus Christ isn't experiencing this betrayal and this pain because of anything he did that was wrong. He's being betrayed and he's experiencing this pain because of your sin. Ultimately, it goes back to the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve betraying God, right? Not trusting in God. Not listening to God. Not loving God, who had provided everything that they needed, given them everything that they needed, and blessed them abundantly. He just said, you don't need the fruit of this one tree. And they betrayed God and His provision for them. They turned their back on Him. And they listened to Satan They gave in to his lies. And that fellowship that was between Adam and Eve and God was broken. 
And ultimately, this goes back to that. And Jesus Christ, in paying the penalty for the sin of Adam and Eve, and therefore the, the sins of all their pos- posterity, he had to suffer the kind of betrayal that God had experienced in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve and himself. And it's the kind of, let's don't just say, well, this was just Adam and Eve, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ had to suffer this pain and this betrayal of one of his closest friends because you, in your sins and iniquity, and every time that you have given in to the lust of your flesh, and every time that you have given in to Satan and his lies, and every time that you have sinned in your own heart, in your own mind, you have betrayed a loving Heavenly Father. You turn your back on Him and you say, My way is better than your way. And every one of those times of betrayal deserves the justice and wrath of God. Because God is a holy God who can't let that pass. And so Jesus Christ, as the Passover lamb, is willing to suffer this pain and this betrayal to take your place. And so that instead of receiving justice, instead of receiving condemnation, instead of receiving the penalty, the wrath of God against your sin, Jesus Christ took it upon Himself so that you could be passed over. And He would place His wrath upon Him. He experienced this pain and this betrayal for you. And the disciples who loved Jesus Christ, the disciples who had left all to follow Him, the fishermen, the tax collectors, the zealots, given their lives for Him these past three years, they had been with Jesus. They had gone through persecution, hatred, loss of spending time with their family. having to live on the road, having to scrounge for their meals. Jesus Christ says to them, one of you will betray me. And we see the grief in their own hearts and we see the the weakness of their own faith that it says that when Jesus said this, that they didn't know who he was talking about which shows how he had, he had uh, shielded them from seeing the true nature of Judas Iscariot this whole time. They didn't even know that it was him that Jesus was talking about. And so they all began to ask Jesus, or say to themselves, Is it I? Is it me? Who is going to betray the Lord Jesus Christ? They were looking at themselves and asking the question, could I be the one? Could it be me that would betray him? They knew that they weren't above it. They knew that none of them were above betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they began to be sorrowful. This word sorrowful means in great anguish and pain. As they saw the pain and sorrow of Jesus Christ and him saying this, They also experienced pain and sorrow in their own hearts 
as they looked within themselves and said, Is it I who will betray you? And they were sorrowful. But Jesus answered and said to them, It is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. Literally, as he was saying this, it says uh, the, the, the tense of this verb, who dips with me in the dish, is present tense. So literally, as he was saying this, and as they were questioning, is it I, Lord, is it I, Lord, he comes to Judas Iscariot, and he dips with him in the dish. And it's still, it's still concealed from all the disciples that it's him exactly that he's talking about, even, Judas, even though Judas knew that he was the one. Yet none of the others did. If you read the other gospel accounts, it says that when Jesus revealed this to Judas that he was the betrayer and he knew that he was the betrayer, that it says that Satan entered to his, into his heart and Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Go and do it, do it now. And it tells us there that the disciples didn't understand even at that time what Jesus was saying to Judas. It says, well, maybe because he's the keeper of the money, maybe Jesus is telling him that he needs to go and he needs to go ahead and buy some more food for the rest of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Maybe he needs to go give something to the poor. They had no clue, still, that it was Judas who was the betrayer. But Jesus calmed their hearts, the rest of the 11 disciples. He calmed their hearts and he doesn't tell us in this text, but we just can assume this, that he all answered their question, is it I, with no. It is not you. He said, the Son of Man in these goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for, for that man if he had never been born. Imagine being the one who betrayed the King of kings and Lord of lords. Imagine being the one who sold Jesus Christ, the Passover lamb, for the price of a slave. Now Jesus says, this is according to the will of God, right? The Son of Man goes just as it was written of Him. This was prophesied. This was purpose. This was the counsel of God for him to be betrayed, for him to be put on trial, for him to suffer, for him to die, the death of the crucifixion. Yes, all this had been the purpose and plan of God, but it did not relieve the guilt and it did not relieve the responsibility of Judas Iscariot in betraying him. He was still responsible for what he did. And Jesus Christ is right. He has all the right to pronounce woe upon him for the betrayal. Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Because not only did he have to suffer the consequence of that betrayal after it happened, the grief the bitterness, 
that overwhelmed him, which eventually led him to hang himself. Not only that, but he will suffer for an eternity the wrath of Almighty God for what he did. And so this was the pain of that Passover. But this pain was for us. This pain that Jesus experienced in this time of being betrayed and how he would go on to suffer much pain and anguish, not only of body but of spirit and soul. All of this was for you because he was becoming the Passover lamb that was to be taken and that was to be put to death, whose, whose blood was to be shed and who was to be roasted in the fire. And Jesus Christ was becoming all those things for you and for me. He was being taken and he was being put to death. His blood was going to be shed. He was going to be roasted in the fire of God's wrath against your sin for us. And he would become a sacrifice for you and I so that we would be passed over from having to suffer. Thirdly, not only do we see the providence in the preparations of this Passover and the pain of this Passover, but lastly, the preciousness of this Passover. This would be a unique Passover because this would be the first time where Jesus would institute the communion. It says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread... Remember, this was unleavened bread. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. This was something new. This was something that had not been done before. They were always eating the bread and, 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 and having a time of celebration. They were to roast a, lamb, roast a lamb and eat the lamb. They were to eat bitter herbs with this to remind them of the bitterness of sin and Egyptian bondage. But this was something new. Jesus was now taking bread and he was taking wine and he was saying that these represent me as the Passover lamb and what I'm about to do. And you're now, when you keep this feast, you're no longer going to remember back to Egypt and being delivered from Egypt, but now you're going to remember me and what I have done for you and that I am the Passover lamb. No longer, you don't need to kill the Passover lamb anymore. You don't need to remember that anymore because I am becoming this for you. Take, eat, this is my body. One of the other passages says, which is broken for you, right? None of Jesus Christ's bones were broken, but his body, his, his spirit, and his flesh, as we will go on to see, it was broken and torn to shreds for you, because of your sin, for your sin, for your freedom and redemption. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. 
Hallelujah. Not only was it shed for those 11 disciples, and not only was it shed for all those that were believing Him during that time, it goes back and it covers all those who had believed in God by faith and believed in the promise of Messiah in the Old Testament. And it would go forward and it would cover all those who would come to believe in Him in days future. And that goes all the way to you and I today, that if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we have placed our faith and trust in Him and His Holy Spirit has given us a new heart and a new life. He has made this new covenant with you where He says, I have become the Passover lamb for you. I have given my body and my blood for you to forgive you of all your sins. To remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. To remember your transgressions no more. And to make a covenant with you, an everlasting covenant that says, I have loved you from before the beginning of the world. And I will continue to love you throughout eternity. And this is the token. This is the evidence of my love for you. Is that I am willing to become the sacrifice in your place. Jesus Christ, the Passover Lamb. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us about this suffering servant, the one who would come, and this was Jesus Christ. It says, He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet He opened not His mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so He opened not His mouth. Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb for you and for me. And so there's a great preciousness during this Passover in this time with the disciples where this is the first time that they are coming to a realization of why Jesus Christ had came, what he was about to do, and what all of this meant. It was all pointing to this. Why was Jesus so sorrowful? Why was his heart so heavy? Why was he filled with so much pain? Because he's about to experience his father's wrath for all the sins of all us people. He's about to experience betrayal. All these disciples who he's having this precious time with in this precious Passover, in the instituting of this Lord's Supper, all of them this night are going to flee and forsake Him, turn their backs on Him. And He knows this. He knows this. He knows everything that's about to happen, and yet He is loving them. He is spending this intimate time with them, and He is with them to the end because He loves us with an everlasting love. And even though he knew you would betray him, even though he knew your evil heart and your wicked heart, even though he knew that time and time again you would choose sin over obedience to God, yet he was willing to become the Passover lamb for you so that you could be forgiven of all of those times 
of your betrayal. And you could be forgiven and you could be declared innocent and not guilty. And you could be adopted into His family. And you could take on His name. And you could become a part of the family of God. And you receive all the blessings which come from being a part of the family of God. Because Jesus Christ became your Passover lamb. Jesus Christ was betrayed for you. He gave His body to be broken for you. Jesus gave His own blood to be shed for you. And Jesus Christ loves you. This is one of the things that is hard for us to fathom and understand. Why? Why would He be willing to do this? Why would He go through this? Why did He have to go through this? And why for me? And why not for some others? All according to the purpose and plan of God. All according to the sovereign good pleasure of His will. All because He purposed to do so. And all because He receives glory from it. Not anything that we have done. Not for any reason we deserve it. And so we ought to be thankful for Jesus Christ becoming the Passover lamb for us. We need to understand what He went through for you and for me so that we can appreciate who He is and who He has become as the Passover lamb. We need to understand the pain that He went through and the betrayal that He went through for you and for me. And we need to understand that when we do come together and when we do keep the Lord's Supper, and we do have this time of communion, it is a precious time, as it was a precious time with His disciples. And it is a time when Jesus Christ meets with us in a special way. I like how last time we did the communion, we had the chair in here to remind us that Jesus Christ is in the room with us. And He is keeping this feast with us in remembrance of Him. We are communing with Him. We are telling Him how much we love Him. And how much we appreciate Him. Michael Card, one of my favorite Christian musicians and artists, he wrote a, he wrote a song called Why? And he says this, Why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? Why did he use a kiss to show them that's not what a kiss is for? And he answered it in this way. He said, only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever call so much pain. And why did there have to be a thorny crown pressed upon his head? It should have been a royal one made of jewels and gold instead. It had to be a crown of thorns because in this life that we live, for all who seek to love, a thorn is all the world has to give. Think about that. For everything that Jesus did, 
for the life that he lived. For the healing. For the feeding. For the providing. For the teaching. All that they had to give him was a crown of thorns. And why did it have to be a heavy cross he was made to bear? And why did they nail his feet and hands? His love would have held them there. It was a cross, for on a cross, a thief was supposed to pay. And Jesus had come into the world to steal every heart away. (laughs) I love that. Jesus wasn't a thief and a criminal in the sense that the other ones were that were crucified on the cross. But he came to steal your heart and to steal my heart away from the world and for God. He was a thief in that way. Yes, Jesus came into the world to steal every heart away. So we think, why did Jesus have to be betrayed? Why did he have to go go through this pain and anguish? He did it for you. And he did it for me so that we don't have to go through those things. Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb for us so that we could experience the joy and the peace and the redemption that comes through his sacrifice. May we praise God and ever love him for the sacrifice that he has made for us.